yes, this is powerful stuff. What is up, guys? It is your boy, Kaylin Edwards here, and we are back again on the podcast. Today, we have a really special episode with a really special person. Her name is Anna Patak. Yes, Patak, that's how you say it. It doesn't look like it, but that's how you say it. Anna, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here. This is just really wonderful. We've been so. trying to organize this this collaboration for the past year now, and this is no exaggeration. Like literally, last year we've been trying. Uh, we've been trying completely to do- serious. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the cards like finally fell into place. Like everything finally worked out, and we're able to do it. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Anna has such a powerful, powerful story, and I can't wait for us to get into that story with you guys. Um, just for the record, Anna, who are you? What do you do? Well, I am, um, first off I do, I'm a paralegal at a law firm where I live um, in Eastern US. And then I'm also a policy consultant, policy and survivor consultant, I guess you'd say, and speaker. I speak on anti-human trafficking, um, anti-pornography. I just, I speak to both the Christian audience, faith-based audience, but also I help like write laws. I consult legislation or legislative figures. When I was in Europe, I consulted the president of Malta. So I do a lot with law. Um, but then I also do a lot for safe houses. So if they need curriculum development, I help them with that as well. So, and then I do fun podcasts like these. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Guys, I've been yeah. watching Anna just kill it in her respective niche for a long time and I can't wait for you guys to see the heart where her work comes from because it's just an incredible story but Anna since she's um she's been killing it so much she she has this these life experiences that a lot of us don't necessarily know and sometimes she uses terminology that you know the common person doesn't understand (laughs) and uh, in her brief beautiful introduction i heard her mention some words that maybe the audience won't understand um some of those are human trafficking so obviously since this podcast is based off of that we're going to have to define that eventually paralegal and safe houses things like that i'll definitely ask her the questions i know some of you guys are begging to answer so if you feel just as unprepared as i do to be talking to someone as educated and as just (laughs) intelligent as anna don't worry i got your back we're gonna get through it but just for the record um right before we get into your personal story um, do you want to define some terms that you think would be relevant for the audience? Maybe that they should probably know. Yeah. So um, as far as human trafficking, human trafficking is the transportation, receiving or harboring of persons for the purposes of either commercial sex act, forced labor, um, and it's through forced fraud or coercion, meaning that Uh, someone either needs to be tricked into it, they need to be, someone lies to them to get them into it, or where they're actually held captive physically and they're, you know, prison, in prison pretty much. Mm. Um, With sex trafficking, so you've got sex trafficking, you've got labor trafficking. Those are the two big types. Labor trafficking is for, like, someone working in a sweatshop or working on a farm who's, like, not paid or barely paid and they're working like long countless hours you typically see that in somewhere in like central america Mm. or africa um sweatshops in southeast asia um and then sex trafficking is forms could be prostitution now people think prostitution they think maybe like pretty woman the movie or it's this glamorized 
you know, profession where the woman wants to be there and she mm-hmm. wants to be having sex with people, but it's actually not the prostitution we're talking about with trafficking is people who have been tricked into it and stuff like that. And they're sleeping with um, multiple clients and they keep none of the money. They're beaten, things like that. You've also got strip clubs. A lot of people think people in strip clubs want to be there, but it's, I don't have a statistic, but several people in the strip clubs who are working there don't want to be there. You've also got pornography. Mm-hmm. So I think we, pornography is things you see on a screen or, or whatnot. Um, of sexual acts. And so those are just a few examples. You've also got other types of trafficking. So you've got organ trafficking, which is a real thing. Wow. Um, organ trafficking is very common in Africa. Um, they basically take certain organs and then they traffic them up usually like to Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, it's terrible. It's horrible. Yeah, I'm just trying um, to just fathom that. Like I didn't even know that yeah. was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. And in the US, sex trafficking is for people under 18 under the legal statute, but labor can be any age. So that's a big difference in the two. And a lot of people don't realize that human trafficking um, is in the US. And they also, I mean, a lot of people see taken. Um, and they think, oh, it's overseas or it's people being smuggled across borders or things like that. The truth is it looks very different in the U.S., but the U.S. is said to be the number one destination for human trafficking. Wow. Just based off of your definitions, um, a lot of these things that I mean, I'm sure the audience didn't even know about. I didn't even know about the organ trafficking and the difference between labor trafficking and sex trafficking. But just based off of the definitions that you gave, I can definitely think of some instances where maybe some child labor would be abused and that would probably fall under um, labor trafficking and just some other instances where some things that we don't necessarily like to think about are actually happening just within our own country. Um, I heard you say that this is something that just isn't a domestic issue. So does this mean that the types of policy that you're you're advocating for, the type of work that you do, this isn't just for United States? Like this is a global effort that you're pushing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was studying abroad actually in undergrad and that's when I was in Malta. But I started working a lot over there and then consulting the president on just like, you know, I was in the EU, the European Union. So talking to them about like, you know, strengthening um, their efforts towards it, enforcing the laws, looking at it differently. Um, so, yeah, it is. I mean, it's an international issue, you know, especially when you're going over country borders. It's not just I say it's not just a country issue. It's a people issue. I hear this statistic all the time and I believe it. I just don't know where it came from. Um, there are more slaves today than there were during the transatlantic slave trade. So during what we consider the time where African-Americans were being you know, forced into slavery, which is just as bad as what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But the scope of it now is larger. And the reason for that is there's more population. But mm-hmm. um, you know, the ability to travel, the ability to exchange um, sex for money you know, with more people, things like that. I mean, it's just there's so many reasons that make it more common now. But yeah, um, currently, yeah, just different laws and things. I think my most recent focus is trying to get pornography addressed as a public health crisis, Mm. because it's extremely hard to get the law passed, including pornography. And here's how we do it is that um, if we address pornography as a public health crisis, um, people who don't like agree that it's you shouldn't watch it, 
we say, well, it affects the mind or it affects, it affects the brain. It creates a chemical reaction, mm. um, which it's like, for example, if you use a drug and say you're doing, I don't know, like cocaine, and then you keep using it and using it, you're going to want something even more hardcore and then something more hardcore. Yeah, so it's like same, a gateway. Yeah. So the same thing happens with pornography. So you start watching like a pornography that I guess you say soft porn or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually you need more and that's because of the dopamine levels in the brain. And then you need more and need more. And then that increases the buying of sex because eventually somebody's going to want an actual person. Wow. Um, so, and then that's what makes the ages drop. So you'll start, like, usually they start with an older adult, meaning like 18, and then they work their way down. So it's increasing um, selling. So if we look at it from a medical issue, public health issue, mm. people might listen. So you're like this wealth of information. And these are issues that don't get talked about a lot. And it's just, it's kind of embarrassing how unprepared I feel to talk to you, like, it's so much information and it's just and it's so important and I, I feel bad that I don't know this but um just efforts like this talking about it it's definitely opened my eyes a lot and just being a guy a, a younger guy and growing up in a world that has so much access to pornography I know the effects of it but I don't know how how these things were caused like I didn't understand that there was something psychologically going on in my head I experienced the the effects of it. Like I, I've noticed myself. Um, I've personally been addicted to pornography before in my life. Um, I would watch pornography all the time, and just like you said, I started off watching what they would call soft porn, where there wasn't anything, or we'd say there's not nothing too bad that's happening. But I noticed that I gradually my appetite for it gradually increased, and I became more and more addicted. And I started watching more hardcore types. And what I noticed was some of those actions started to play out in my own life. So I started treating women a lot differently. I started to become a more domineering type person, and it it, it was so 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 bad. Now that I think about it, and it's kind of cool to understand that there was something psychologically going on in my head as a result of the pornography exactly it's it's a drug it literally is a drug big reason that i'm in this movement is because i was trafficked myself um i so it's started let's see here i kind of talk about where i came from as far as like my background so people can understand why i fell into it yeah um because it's not my fault so <laughs> um yeah so I was born in Calcutta, India, and I was adopted into a family in America who was an upper-class white family. Um, it's funny because people be like, oh, my gosh, were you trafficked in India? And I'm like, actually, no. Wow. Like, oh, you're so blessed to be adopted. I'm like, well. <laughs> These are literally the things that I'm thinking in my head. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no. And so I was, yeah, I was adopted, living in the States, and upper-class family, white, um, in around age four. Um, at least this is when the memory started. Um, I was sexually abused by a person in my life who I don't say who it was, but, Mm. um, they also abused other people around me. But, um, then my parents divorced at age eight and my mom remarried a man who was physically abusive and emotionally abusive. Um, I know people tell me, they're like, oh my gosh, you're Indians and you're so beautiful. Now I get it. But in elementary school, I hated myself. I wanted to be blonde hair, blue eyes. I thought if I was that, then I would be beautiful and that I would be worthy. Mm. So I ha- here you have this neglect kid who feels neglected, abandoned, 
forgotten and ugly. So get to middle school. During this time, my parents had married and divorced several different people. My mom's in a lesbian relationship. Um, so again, a lot of aban- feeling of an abandonment and neglect. I developed an eating disorder. I tried to commit suicide a couple of times. Um, I was hospitalized. So then you keep going to high school. All of these things are still carrying with me, all of the weight of my life and everything. I was going to church growing up, but it was like one of those, I go to church Sunday, celebrate Christmas, mm. read the Bible at church kind of thing. There was no relationship with Christ there. That comfortable so, Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> Believer, Christian, you know, different thing. <laughs> but um, so when I was in my junior year of high school, I started working at a movie theater. And at this movie theater, I met the projectionist who was 40 years old at the time. And he heard about my love for music because I just, I loved music and everything about it. And he was like, you know, you could, uh, I could teach you to play guitar for free. And I was like, okay, because what's <laughs> every high schooler's favorite word, free. Yeah. So I um, start these lessons. He starts telling me things, you know, like, I want to hear, like, you're beautiful. I want to spend time with you. You're amazing. So this abandoned, neglected girl who thinks she's ugly is hearing these words. Mm. So to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, you're amazing. I want to spend more time with you, too. So it became intimate. Um, We started a dating relationship. This all went on for six months. Well, then one day I was just a really crazy kid, and I got kicked out of my house for bad behavior, um, and I didn't have anywhere to go. I'm still a junior in high school at this point. Mm. Um, He's like, well, you can come live with me. We're dating. And I was like, okay, you know, based on what I'd seen growing up, that was normal to me. Mm. So I um, moved in with him. First few months were, you know, normal in my head. Like there was no, like, anything going on. Um, And then he said about two months in, you know, you could be my number one model for my art project I'm starting. You know, you're so gorgeous. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm his number one. That's all that matters. So start this project. Um very innocent at first and then it became more sexual in nature um i remember there was this uh calendar on the wall and i was like what are these numbers on there and he's like it's quote unquote how many times we've made love it was getting in the hundreds and i was like okay you know he wouldn't lie to me Mm. there were times i'd wake up i didn't know where i'd been there were times uh, and he just said i was sleepwalking like i would literally wake up in the kitchen naked and he said i was sleepwalking and i believed him um, there was a drug dealer around. He kept all of my money. Um, he said he was taking care of me. So he kept all my money. Yeah. Um, and he monitored everywhere I went. So I'm in high school at this point, but he keeps saying, you know, why don't you just stay with me for the day? And I was like, okay. And then we kept the project going, um, you know, everything. And I was just forced to do some unthinkable things. Um, and then there was like, Times I would go to the grocery store with him and I'd go to the next aisle and he's like, oh my gosh, don't leave me. I don't want to be away from you. So um, again, like him being around me all the time. Uh, People around me, people ask this question a lot. What were people around me doing? Nobody thought anything of it because I was so happy. They're like, this is weird, but they didn't know really what to look for. Like my teachers are like, this is weird, mm. but she seems happy. There's no bruises. There's like so, no red flags. That was- yeah, there's none. It was like, but we forget chains can be invisible. And 
So then like a year and a half in, he starts talking about wanting to get married. And I, we did not get engaged, but he's talked about it. And I was like, you know, I don't want to marry this guy, but how am I going to break his heart? Mm. So there was a girl at work at the movie theater who needed a roommate. So I kind of moved stuff in with her. So like I would come home and he's like, where's your hoodie? Oh, I left it at school. Really, it was at her house. Mm. So then um, I got fired from the movie theater. And I was a clean break. I moved in with him. This is 2005. So there's no like Twitter or Facebook or anything. You couldn't like, he couldn't just say, oh, she's at Papa John's. Let me go there. Mm. So he started asking and people were like, why is he trying to find her? Like, I don't get it. So nobody told him where I was. So after that, I start drinking, partying, you know, whatever. Then two, like, I can't remember, a few years later, I met up with some of the girls from the movie theater. And they said, you know, Anna, something weird's going on. He keeps trying to... Um, get us to be a part of his art project. And I'm like, wait, what? That's our uh-huh. special thing. Why would he do that with you? I don't understand. And so I didn't really do anything with it. I just was kind of like hurt. So then fast forward to 2009, I found out he died of colon cancer. Hmm. And I know I'm like, oh, darn, he died. I know that's really bad to say, yeah, but kind of like, you know. Um, so the first thing I thought was I need to get the pictures back. To me, there were I thought there was like 20 pictures. I saw his sister at the funeral, and she said, I have what you're looking for. They're in my safe. So um, we, I met up with her later. She gave me this huge box. I was like, what the heck is in this box? Mm-hmm. And I opened it when I got home, and that's when I found out he mass-produced everything. I had no clue. Wow. I had no idea that he'd been doing that. I turns out... I do not have legal proof that he made money off of it, but I do know you don't make hundreds of pictures of girls who are in these kinds of poses and not sell them. Like exactly. there were thousands of them, you know, and I found out about the other girls and everything. So at this point, I didn't understand that had been trafficked to me. I thought it was overseas. I thought it was, you know, crossing borders, things like that. So one day in my sociology class, um, I started hearing about trafficking, human trafficking. I'm like, this is an interesting subject. Well, this is kind of cool. And um, then I watched Taken. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so intrigued. And then one day I was reading an article and it said, young girl meets older guy, older guy, um, ask girl to do art project. And it kept going. I'm like, wait, that's what this happened is what, to me. Yeah, like this is my yeah, life story. Like I was trafficked. Are you serious? And um, that's when um, I hit rock bottom, started self-harming, all these things. So I entered a program called, it was then called Mercy Ministries. Now it's called Mercy Multiplied. Hmm. Um, in 2011, I graduated 2012. And that is when God restored my life. And I know I'm beautiful. I know I'm valued. I have a wonderful husband now, great relationship, um, and just continuing on the journey of restoration through everything. So, yeah, that's my story. Wow. It, it's so crazy to me how you can tell this story with so so much strength. And that I guess that just evidences the fact of how much you've been restored and how much you have grown. But I'm just listening to this, and I'm, I'm taking notes as you're talking. And just from a young age, it's, just, it's it's been so much hurt and it seems like so much betrayal. And just to see how you turned out, like, you're freaking killing it, girl. Like, <laughs> I, it, that's amazing to me. But um, you did mention a couple of things that I kind of want to talk about a little bit more in depth. Some of the telltale signs that a person could be in s- sex trafficking. And one of those things that I wrote down at first, because I've been keeping um, a little flow of the things that you said, you mentioned that you were abused when you were young. 
Um, mm-hmm. My question would be, do you think that some of that abuse kind of made your self-image weaken to the point to where you could have been naive when you were just a little bit older? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, if anything, the sexual abuse creates, even if the kid can't recognize it. Um, yeah, just a lot of like self-image issues, a feeling that you're dirty, um, you know, self-hatred, things like that. You also, I don't know, we're like desensitized to sex where you almost like you see that as relating to people and you become more mm. promiscuous. That's very common. Um yeah, so I know that was a huge contributing factor to it. Very, very big. And I definitely don't want to make it seem as if, oh, the girl or the guy was naive and this is why it happened. Like, it's definitely not their fault. Like, Mm-mm. these are young children. Like, they're supposed to be innocent. They don't know. So it's easy for them to fall into it, especially if there's an older person who seems to be a caregiver, who seems to really care about them. And I just don't want the people who are listening to this and may be experiencing it. I don't want them to feel as if it was their fault. So how do you, how do you rationalize that? Like, obviously there was a point where you came to realize that, Hey, I'm, I was a victim to this and maybe you, you kind of wanted to blame some people. Well, I remember this, I was in my program um, at mercy multiplied and I was working through this like sexual abuse workbook that we had to do. And um, I remember it hit me one day and it's God was like, it's not your fault. You were mm. a kid. You didn't do anything to deserve it. He should he should have known better. You didn't need to know better. You were a kid. And then I look at all the other things like what I'd seen in relationships. Um, something else that people forget is a big grooming factor is the media. I thought um, because what I've seen like Britney Spears or whoever was famous at the time, like the way they dress in the media, to me, wearing less clothes didn't seem weird. It almost Mm. seemed like I needed to do it to earn his affection. So the media groomed me as well. Um, So like I looked at all these things that made me to be that person that was easy like for him to take control of, but it wasn't my fault, if that makes sense. So, but it took... I mean, I'm glad it all happened at one moment, but it took a long time. I remember I did a radio interview before I went into the program and they were like, so why'd you stay? Like, why did you stay? And I could Mm -hmm. not answer the question. And now I can and say like, I didn't know any better. I thought this is what love looked like. I thought that this is what a sexual relationship looked like. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's why. That's kind of a question that I was thinking at first when you were first telling the story, but then I kind of felt more and more that it would be like an irresponsible question for me to ask because we talked about there not being any red flags. Like even from the outside looking in, it looked as if you were happy and hearing you say now that, you know, if this is how you thought the relationship was supposed to function, then yeah, I mean, you weren't upset. You maybe weren't the happiest. But, you know, there was nothing that just seemed wrong about it. Now, from the outside or the outside looking in years later, do you see any potential red flags that you could maybe educate our audience on that maybe someone who's listening may be going through or someone um, who's on the outside looking into another person's relationship with an older man or older woman? What are some red flags that they could be looking at if they're not necessarily in that relationship? Um, isolation, I think is a really big one. Um, you know, you do spend a lot of time with your significant other, like you spend a lot of time, Mm. but if you see more and more that they're like, Oh, well they want to hang out just us like all the time. Like 
he was always like, just stay with me. Don't go to school. Just um, be here longer because I want to be with you. But it was like a constant thing. All my, and my friends who saw me then, now that they know what happened, a lot of them struggle with guilt because they're like, I should have known. Like, I knew something was off. Um, but they were like, he kept pulling me to be with him all the time and be completely dependent on him for mm. everything. And um, like now in my marriage, my husband and I are a team. And we're not always around each other. We're always on a team, but like he doesn't dominate and control me. Mm. Um, and so that's a big thing to look for. Obviously, if there is sexual abuse, like, you know, sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't. Um, but um, I think the control thing and the isolation are really big things because no matter what kind of relationship you're in, it should never be where this person is your God pretty much and your only person. Um, and I'm trying to think, I don't know. I think that something this world has really struggled or failing to do is be bold and don't be afraid if even if you think it's just we're just talk to them about it if they're your real friend and you approach them about a relationship and they stop being your friend they weren't your real friend to begin with um i think you have to use wisdom i think you need to do it in certain ways but if you're if it's your real friend talk to them about it you have to remember they may not recognize it like i did not see what i was going through as abuse Mm -hmm. and people ask me a lot they're like what could someone have done to get you out of it and i honestly do not know But I do know if someone had been in my life showing me what a healthy relationship looked like and pointing these things out that maybe Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have fallen into it. Yeah, I kind of think that that's kind of the wrong question when someone asks you, well, what could we have done to help you? Instead, Mm -hmm. I think the better question would be what happened in your life that made you think that that was a healthy relationship? And from that, then you can start to educate more people on what a healthy relationship looks like. I think from that education, people who are in these types of relationships where they're being controlled and their bodies are being used for sex trafficking and the mass production of pornography, then they'll be able to realize that they actually do need help. Um, There's actually a a really famous quote from Harriet Tubman. and She says that, um, yeah, she's like help free a lot of slaves through the Underground Railroad. However, she would have freed many more if they only knew that they were slaves. And I'm not saying that the people who are experiencing the horrible things we've talked about are slaves or that they're um, naive because they fell into it. It's just, that's all they know. And you can't really help someone until they understand that they need, they need help. Yeah. And I think also offering the resources when you're working with people who've gone through trafficking it takes more than one go around half the time to get them to receive services a lot of time they're so dependent on their pimp they'll go back i think another big thing we have is we also have to remember and this is something i should have pointed out it happens to boys too Mm. um ecpat um which is an really big organization anti-trafficking set a statistic as many as 50 percent of um exploited children are boys and and i know several who've been trafficked for sex um and it's just really bad lbgtq population um this is my thing as believers we have our own beliefs about certain things but Mm -hmm. everybody deserves to be protected no matter what your gender your race or anything they all deserve to be protected and nobody deserves to be exploited so um they're huge targets and boys are huge target currently there are no homes for boys in the u.s one is 
it's built. They're just getting the funds to open it. It's called Anchor House in Greenville, mm-hmm. Carolina. I think but, it's yeah. a huge point. Like, I'm glad that you mentioned that because even throughout this interview, I kind of wanted to cater it more towards girls because just based off that assumption and what um, what I've been taught, just looking at the media and how this these things are often talked about, even though they're not talked about that often, when I've, when I've heard about them, it's always women and it's always small girls who are who fall into it but in reality like this is something that can happen to anybody it doesn't matter what your gender is you can be manipulated no matter what gender you are it's so true and um obama's been fantastic with supporting um i know some people use the word survivor i like the word overcomer i was using Mm. it way before mandisa did the song i should (laughs) have marked it um but I remember when it came out, everybody was like, Anna, she's using your word. I'm like, I know. I should have. It was in the Bible, but I should have trademarked it. <laughs> but um, Obama, uh, it's the song Overcomer, if anybody's not familiar with her It's music. like an anthem. Like- yeah. Um, and so Obama's been fam- fabulous because at the Democratic National Convention, not just this one, but the one before, um, he's had um, overcomers of trafficking speak. He just had one at the last one, but he also has an advisory council of overcomers of trafficking serving this country and being the consultants for him. I'm not on that one, but a lot of my friends are. And um, it's it's just really awesome to see that he understands the voices of overcomers as leaders and not just their stories or like this kind of situation where you're asking expertise. So it's it's been really awesome for Obama to get that started because that'll just keep going on and hopefully get more powerful. Wow, that's definitely encouraging knowing that there is someone that that helps advocate for policy and that helps policy get passed that is making strides towards bringing more awareness to these things because in our mainstream media we don't hear about it like this when it's out of sight it's out of mind and since I personally haven't heard about it as much then something I don't think about but this is something that's a prevailing issue worldwide like even with the olympics going on i kind of wanted to ask you about that and how how pimps would use an event like the olympics or the super bowl or world cup to advance their really really disgusting uh, agenda yeah so um yeah people ask about olympics a lot how the olympics is fueling the um sex trade is you've got escort services fall under sex trafficking and again i'm not saying every single escort service is trafficking. It's just the ones where they don't want to be there, pretty much, mm. in a general idea. So you got escorts, you got um, women in, or people in, I don't like to say prostitutes because I don't like placing a label on someone that's negative. So mm. if I say a person in prostitution, that shows that it's something that happened to them or something they're experiencing versus who they are. I'm really big exactly. about speaking life into people's identities. So person in prostitution, person who is an escort service, person who is in a, um, a strip club, or massage parlor, but definitely the Olympics, the two would be like escort service and prostitution. Those are the two big ones. Um, And you've got people coming from all over the world. So you're going to need a lot of different types of women and boys and girls to, you know, to exploit. Um, I remember um, something else I was grateful for Obama to mention. He actually called out the U.S. He's like, I'm really embarrassed to know that some of my people are buyers. And like he's point blank said it, he said it more eloquently, but it's true that a lot of um, governmental figures um, buy people for sex. Um, One of my friends, he was bought by a uh, 
a governor of a state. So wow. it's like you got a lot of people in the government who are down there. And a lot of them continue to do it because they have the power um, pretty much. Like they could either get out of being caught or something. So between the government, um, all the tourists, um, things like that, that is what's making it bigger down there. Wow. And it, it almost makes you question, like, where's the accountability? Like, here we are electing these people in the office, and on their off days, they're participating in stuff like this that makes you question the integrity of the leaders, so you guys vote smart. Um, that's my political spiel. Just talking about this, my mind, like, I, I like to close my eyes when I'm listening to people's stories and just kind of, because I can't, I, ha- I don't have the same experiences that you've had. And as a result of that, I really can't think the same way that you do because a lot of the way that your mind has been shaped has been based off of your experiences. But I like to close my eyes and try and envision what would it, what would it would be like for me to be there. So when you had um, spoken about the calendar, um, I kind of just saw that pop up in my head. But my mind, it, it wanders and it automatically assumes the absolute worst when it comes to uh, pornography, when it comes to sex trafficking when it comes to labor trafficking when i think of sex trafficking i'm thinking of um girls stuffed in the back of the truck with like i actually saw this commercial where there was this truck and they were driving through this big city and it had these uh two plexiglass walls so they could see into the truck and they stuffed it with like girls and then like put the makeup on them to make them look like really dirty and i they think were driving that was through. super bowl yeah, I want to say it was yeah. some around some huge event. I just can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And I saw a commercial about it and I was like, wow, that's such a good movement. And I think that kind of it doesn't I don't want to say it does more harm than good, because obviously it's like it's showing people that this is an actual issue. But it makes people think that it's only the extreme cases that this is happening. So mm-hmm. I was automatically thinking when you said where you were from, your upbringing and then you threw me on a curve when you said you got adopted by a, a more wealthier family. I'm thinking, whoa, where does the where does the trafficking come in? Yeah. And then when I heard your story, I'm like, whoa, like that's not what I expected. I thought that you were going to be like, you know, like in the girls that were stuffed in the truck and, you know, like it's sex trafficking no matter what. And it's not always this really extreme case that we like to imagine in our heads, but it it's also the really subtle things, and it could be happening to our friends, our our brothers, our sisters. This is something that we we have to be constantly aware of. Like it's not always these extreme things that we think in our head. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and I will say I meant to touch on this earlier that um, the big well, one my trafficker was a white guy, beer gut like love the Beatles. So if that gives you a bigger picture of what he looked like, he's not like this pimp with like gold chains and everything Mm. that Snoop Dogg or whoever says a pimp looks like. And then you've got, um, he, we lived in the middle of a field out in a rural area because it's very common for like trafficking to happen in an urban area, but then the the victims being um, in a rural area. So like if that helps you look, and then the big reason that I think he ended up doing what he did to me and the other girls is he actually had a huge porn addiction. Like his was massive. Like I remember the first time I went to his house, there was a whole roll, ro- a whole room full of just tapes of porn and things like that. He was also influenced to do it because he watched, um, what was that show? Howard Stern, it was a show, um, and he used to watch that, so that's how he decided what I had to do. I mean, mm. all these things, like, people don't think, oh, he learned it from that. Oh, he lived in wow. the 
a field. He he did all these things. So it's like it's crazy when you think about it because it's like slavery. You know, during Harriet Tubman Harriet Tubman's time, terrible, horrible, just as bad as now. But now you've got you know the internet. You've got um, you know easier to travel, move around, things like that. You have um, you also have a lot. This happens. Um, this happens typically with gangs, but they have kids recruit kids at school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, there's just so many different ways people connect more than they used to be able to. Um, that looks different. So, it's literally modern day slavery. Modern day slavery, and just just saying that word, it makes me think of the really extreme slavery that happened um, in the earlier days of our country and throughout the world. And the face has changed, but like you said, it's still just as bad. And one of the things that you said is that there are these um, chains can be invisible. Did you want to um, kind of elaborate on what exactly that means? Yeah. Well, I guess the Olympics is actually a really good example because I kind of got upset during the opening ceremony because he said it was during their big dance thing in the very beginning. And he said, the announcer said, and slavery was abolished in Rio in whatever year. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Really? He's like, yeah, the slavery is in. Like, he goes on and on for about maybe two minutes about how slavery is over and everything in Rio. And I'm like, oh, my goodness wow. gracious. So the chains look different than they did now. And so when I say chains are invisible, one, we may not see them just as onlookers. Like in Rio, he didn't know what to look for. He doesn't know what's mm-hmm. Or if he does, he didn't talk about it on TV. But he didn't know what to look for. So I think it's the onlooker can't see them. Um, But as far as like the victim self-identifying, I think that um, like I didn't understand because I didn't know better. I didn't understand their relationship and I didn't understand I was trapped. Mm. Um, So like to me, it felt like I didn't have any chains. Um, but then again, people couldn't tell by looking at me. It just gives us a little bit more context into what the quote means. The reason I brought it up was because it, it was so beautifully said. Like, obviously, we know people who are in bondage have chains. And sometimes there are some cues or some red flags that let us know that, you know, they need to be helped. And sometimes when you can see these red flags, the person who's in the bondage knows they need to be helped. And we kind of hit on it earlier with how you didn't really know, but... I like to I just like to reiterate that point that sometimes you really can't see the change because they're invisible and the people who are in it don't know that they need that help. There's been a lot of things that have happened in your life that would make you bitter towards people that would make you not trust people um, that would make you have a certain uh, look on how men act and how men are supposed to treat women and how a relationship is supposed to function. Um, what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about the healing process and how one could overcome and begin to ask God to just restore their heart, restore their mind, and just make them feel new again. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the healing process, it definitely started with forgiveness. Well, knowing who in Christ was first, and then forgiveness and understanding forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with your heart change and with God mm-hmm. and just releasing them. Um, it's really funny that, you know, my trafficker died before I realized what happened. And the person who have sexually abused me as a kid died before I could confront them. Cause God's like, all right, you're supposed to do this with me, not mm. with them. Wow. So that's a good I point. Think a lot of it is just, you know, forgiveness is a decision. It's not based on how you feel about the person or what they did. 
Um, and I think a lot of it is just like, um, just really giving grace to people, like specifically people who are trapped in a pornography addiction. Um, I could be mad at someone who watches it, but really it's like, it comes from something so darker um, and deeper than who they are as a person. Like I'm looking at what they do, not who they are as an as their identity. Mm. And I think that they're struggling with something just like I struggled with something and I have to extend them grace and just tell them that like, I believe in them. I believe that they can do something different. You mm. now know what it looks like. You now know that it could be a girl being or a boy being trafficked on the other side of the screen. So now, you know, and God said, choose life or death. And, mm. you know, and so now it's all about making good choices, but I think it's also about giving other people grace, not grace. So you can go do it again. Yeah. Acceptable, but saying like, I get you and I understand. Um, I like that. So I want to like say that. to like anybody out there with an addiction that I, I forgive you and mm. I understand and I don't hate you. And I think nothing less, less of you at all. Because if someone sit there and say, you're a weak person because you were raped and whatever else they want to lay at me. It's like, no, I am Anna. I'm a daughter of the king. Mm. I've struggled. I've done really stupid things. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but you know, I'm a daughter of the king. I'm beautiful. I'm redeemed. I am loved. I'm valued. I'm cherished. So um, I think it just goes to grace, like we were talking about before. That's great. Like I said earlier, when it, as I was listening to your story, I was just writing down some of the key things. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to see how you dealt with them. Since you're telling your story, you know some of the things that you've gone through, the abuse, the self-image, insecurities, and just not being able to notice the red flags. And what I've done is I've kind of made a checklist and just saw <laughs> how you've overcome it. <laughs> so awesome. with <laughs> you need it's to so send me a picture afterwards. <laughs> I will, I will. It's so cool. It's um I'm looking at the abuse and just hearing how you talked about um just just not accepting it and removing yourself from the situation and surrounding yourself around people who won't treat you that way. Um I think that's really cool that you do that and seeing how you deal with the the self image and knowing your worth and being so so self aware that you know some of the things that you struggle with. You know some of the things that you're great at. But one thing you really know more than anything is who you are in God's eyes. And that's what matters the most. And that's why I think we should derive most of our self-image from. And yeah. just throughout your life and how you've continued your education, I noticed that the red flags have not only become more apparent to you to the point to where you could notice them when you tell your story, but you're also making those apparent to other people by educating them through Mercy um, Multiplied and coming on the podcast and just letting us who don't really know give us a peek into your life and the things that you're doing and how you're changing some people's lives who are going through these horrible, horrible things. Anna, can I just personally say thank you for the work that you've done. You are uh, an amazing woman of God and it's so amazing just to look from the outside looking in at the things Aww. that he has you doing. It's so thank encouraging. You. Thank even though, <laughs> even though I feel so insecure, like talking to you because you're so smart, it <laughs> it, it really is doing like, this is great. Like I can't wait oh. to re-listen to this and just take in all this information. So thank oh. you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, well, praise God. Yeah, He's the one that speaks, and I'm just grateful to be used and help others. So it's just it's an honor to serve others and a privilege, and I don't take it lightly, you know. So I'm extremely grateful to be here. So this has been a lot of fun.
<laughs> One of the things that we like to do at the end of the podcast is ask the guest to ask the audience um, a question and just get their response from it. Um, it's really beneficial to do because it gives the audience a chance to contribute to the conversation and it just gives you some insight into what this audience, this demographic has think going on in their head as they're listening to the podcast. Is there any question that you can think of right off the top of your head that you'd like to ask someone that would be in this younger 18 to 24 male dominant gen, um, demographic? Hmm. What is something positive what is a positive choice you're going to do to move in a healthy direction um doesn't mean you have to come and say i'm addicted to porn you say you know what tomorrow i'm going to go for a run and you know instead of these other bad decisions or you know i'm going to start meeting with a mentor i'm going to get the online um you know internet software that you can get um i can send you the links to those but covenant eyes is a really good one Mm -hmm. um Stuff like that, or I'm gonna go, um, you know, watch a sermon video or something like that. Like just finding ways to find community and use your tools to make healthier decisions, um, I think is really important. So that's a really good question. And a lot of the times when we ask questions, it's not even the answer that we seek, it's the fact that we're asking you the question and you're thinking about something that you could do to actively improve. Whatever situation that you're in, you shouldn't contact Anna with some of these things that we're talking about because obviously she's a married woman and that would be crossing the line. Just think about it. Um, You can maybe comment it on my video or really what we want you to do is just think about it and make strides towards, you know, just getting better and getting help so you don't contribute to any of these issues. Yeah. Yeah, And if you um, if you do contact me about your um, struggle and stuff. I understand just let, letting you know ahead of time. I'm have to refer you to a, another person. Um, we'll figure out where you live and stuff like that and help you with that. But I'm not going to be able to counsel you, but I'm definitely here as a resource. Um, like one time I was doing a a webinar and I had all these men from like, I guess people in South Africa were watching it and all of a sudden my email blew up. Wow. And half (laughs) of them were thinking I was going to heal them. And I'm Mm. like, uh, no, you missed the message. Like I can't be your Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm definitely here as a resource. Just know that I'm not counseling you. Um, Mm. and also for some reason, if a girl is listening to this and you need some resources or you're having some, you're, you're dealing with your abuse or your own self-image issues, or if guys, you have a girlfriend who needs this, they can contact me for sure. I'm willing to put anybody in touch with whoever they feel could help them um, in whatever location you are. So I'm definitely a resource for that because um, dealing with all these issues we've talked about are really, really hard and you can't do it on your own. So I'm definitely here if you need me for sure. Well, Anna, you have been nothing but helpful for us today. I've learned so much. You're such a great teacher, and your story is so inspiring. And it's just great how God is using you. Um, just at the end, we, we talked about it briefly before the podcast started, and I'm really loving the direction that the podcast is going in. Um, I kind of want to get a prayer for just reconciliation and um, healing and just letting people know that they're Worth isn't derived from the things that happened to them that they couldn't control, but rather the things that God says are true about us. Did you want to um, go ahead and pray us out? Yeah, of course. All right. So, Father God, we're just here and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are so bigger than all of this. We thank you that you have just 
you know, whatever we've done wrong, you make it us great. You make us whole. We never lose who we are in you, Lord. And that no matter the, anything we carry, any sins we carry, you're bigger than that. And that, um, we just pray that this audience that we just show them more and more of who you are and less of what they're, or and expose the sin, but show them who you are and help them grow. God, we just pray that any like, you know, past wounds, things like that, that are, you know, causing them to stumble in these ways that, you know, they're made aware of those and they get the, you know, the um, strength they need to make these new choices. I pray that if they've gone through any abuse in the past, that God, that you just really just push them to an the right resources and open doors for them, God. Um, we also pray for them that if they're in relationships or married, um, that Lord, you just remind them that just because they have an addiction or they betrayed their partner does not mean that they're a bad person. It does not mean that their relationship or marriage will fail, that you make it strong. You make it, the foundation is in you, God, and not in these situations. And I just pray that you show that to them, God. I pray a hedge of protection over this message, God, that it just sinks into their hearts and no spiritual warfare happens, Lord. We just pray that out in Jesus' name. And um, we just thank you for this opportunity um, to to be able to share this on this platform, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you again, Anna. It, it was such an honor having you on. And I can't wait to have you back on so you could just drop some more knowledge on us. Yes, definitely. Hopefully not a year next time. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching. Peace. By the people, for the people. Seem like you only look out for your sort of people. I look around, it's more evil. Gotta see it in me. <laughs> you see, um, every day we closer to that funeral. Every day a struggle, but the struggle's still beautiful.